Welcome to the Week in IndyCar, recorded live, but I'm putting this up a little bit after, from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I am staring at a vision of Norwegian sexiness, IndyCar analyst, play-by-play, driver insider, pit lane reporter, Anders Krohn. How are you, my friend? I'm doing glorious on this uh, beautiful, gloomy afternoon at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, yeah, hoping uh, it doesn't look like this for race day. And sitting next to him, equally as gorgeous, that would be a super tall drink of pole-winning race engineer Ben Bretzman from Team Penske, Simon Pagano's sorcerer, conjurer of speed. How are you doing, brother? Uh, good, very good, actually. It's been a it's been a great couple of weeks so far. So uh, yeah, no, thanks for thanks for having me, and uh, uh, yeah, just excited. It's been a good uh, good couple of weeks. Um, see, got one more big one to check off here. Any more truth to the rumor that uh, Team Penske is requesting all races to be held on the Indy GP and the 500 based on how <laughs> this month's going for you, Ben? Yeah, well, yeah, we'd take the Indy GP for sure. Um, but yeah, it's this has been amazing. It's uh, been a good run. Simon Simon deserves it, and all the guys do actually. So it's been it's been good so far. Say thank you quickly to our partners at Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers that do genuinely make this possible in this month as well. Our friends at Toronto Motorsports who come up with all these crazy cartoon characters. They're going to be here Saturday, one-day pop-up show at the Indy Memorabilia event behind the Pagoda where you can buy all kinds of stuff. There's a brand-new Robin Miller shirt, uh, which you can use to clean up oil stains of the driveway, <laughs> all kinds of bad stuff. So definitely thank you to them. So the normal format for our show is the one we're going to stick with here, which is listener-driven. And I have to admit... This is kind of my perfect lineup. Monkey asking questions. Definite sharp, sharp tool in terms of analysis and insider content and a race engineer to help make us smarter, which you've done many times on the show before, Ben. So I am a fairly happy boy. Before we get to the first question, though, Anders kind of came up with what we think is the perfect tweak for next year's Indy Sunday qualifying program. So this year... We had the last, I know they call it the last row shootout. I think we should just go with the dirt oval tradition of LCQ, last chance qualifying. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. call it what it is, pay homage <laughs> to our roots. We have, at least this year, we had the LCQ first, followed by the Fast 9. Who's going to be on the pole? What was your really awesome idea we need to sell to IndyCar for next year? Well, I think really starting with the pole shootout should probably be the one because I feel like the, the last chance qualifier, as you referred to, was so dramatic that uh, not taking anything away from, from the pole shootout. But at that point, you already know that one of these nine drivers are going to be on pole, and that's certainly something to be celebrated. But when you have these potentially massive storylines of someone not even making the show feel like that probably overpowers it so starting off with the with the fast nine in my opinion would probably help kind of give that the credit that it deserves because i feel like we were still kind of stuck on the fact that last chance qualifying had just happened and even though we just determined a pole winner the overarching theme was still i cannot believe fernando alonso's going home and even though you and simon have been good friends for more than a decade i will have to admit as someone who needs to write and tell stories and think in dramatic terms I did kind of look up from my, holy crap, Hunko's just knocked out Fernando's story to go, oh, cool, Simon's on pole, type, 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 (laughs) type. So, yeah, if we could kind of switch that up, then I think we could pay a little more attention to the really cool thing like Simon did and Team Penske did uh, with your awesome Chevy power on Sunday. Why don't we start off with our man Jordan Darwin, who always sends in great questions. He says, Ben, 
Great job so far this month. Good luck at the 500. If you had to pick one driver inside Team Penske, not named Simon, and one outside Team Penske to win on Sunday, who would your picks be? Inside, I'd pick Rick Mears. <laughs> um, Let me hand you a mic so you can drop it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, inside, it's, we've, we've got four good cars, really good cars. Um, Elio's honestly looked really strong in traffic running in particular. Um, Joseph looked really strong yesterday. Um, he's been kind of working his program up all week. and uh, He's been he's, locked in this month. Yeah, he's, he's looked really good yesterday. Um, Will's, Will's having, having a very normal month of May right now. He's, you don't know really what he's got, and then all of a sudden he's fast in the race. So I, ew, that's a tough one. Um, but if it's not Rick Mears outside of Simon, I'm going to pick Elio, honestly, because I just want to make some more history. Um, Outside of us, uh, there's a bunch of guys we're watching, a bunch of guys uh, we're keeping tabs on. Um, obviously, the Carpenter cars, we know are fast. Uh, we're racing against them every year. Um, so we're in, you know, Ed knows how to drive around this place like nobody else. So um, so we're watching those guys close. Uh, Rossi's looked strong, as he has the last few years. Um, I think it's going to be exciting, particularly with as the temperatures look like they're not going to be as hot as last year. It's what you saw probably yesterday uh, when the temperatures were cooler. It's going to be a lot like that. So it could be, with how close qualifying was, it could be just about anybody's race because it's, it's going to be super tight, super, super tight. I think, unlike maybe Monday's running where it was cool enough, downforce was up, and it looked like anybody could do anything, piggybacking on your comment, someone else asked me, I think yesterday, what do you think for race day? And if it is going to be that temperature's up, there is some additional downforce available this year through added gurneys, but we're not talking crazy. It just feels like if all those things play out, this is going to be a year where experience compared to a, a driver with a year or two who doesn't know all the things to expect would be, it might be one of those veteran winning years plus car control again, where name some of the drivers, Alexander Rossi's whose hands you actually can't see because they're moving so quickly it's impossible. I'm Magic wondering man. if those two could be in there. What do you think, Andrews? I, I almost wonder if it could also fall into the hands of someone that goes in without preconceived notions, someone that just kind of goes in with a blank slate and doesn't know what to anticipate, so therefore they maybe have a slightly more conservative approach early on. Uh, I could easily see it swinging that way as well, and, and especially with the new surface. I mean, I don't know what you guys are finding, but certainly looks like the, the track temp goes up so much more compared to, to ambient temp and looks like the car's just sliding on top of the surface. So, um, man, it looks super tricky. So I'm wondering if maybe we should paint the entire track white so it doesn't soak up <laughs> as much heat, it. Yeah. And, and maybe we have some more grip. No, there's a lot to that. If, if, if it's hot and the sun's out, it's going to be tricky. Um, but the cars are so close. It's so tight. So there's guys that are out there doing some really interesting things. Some, some of the younger guys are... I still think they're going to learn the hard way at some point here, but uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a good show regardless. You know, Santino Ferrucci really impressed me on Monday when he came and sat down and mentioned that during the two-hour run, there was a segment where he was directly behind Elio, and he said Elio wouldn't let him by, and it wasn't because Elio was being pig-headed. He said Santino received the fact he was actually trying to teach him how to pass him. And no, I'm not going to let you do it here and hurt the two of us speed and performance-wise. So what I'm going to do is close the door and then show you where I would potentially open it up for you to get me 
into a, a mm. different corner yeah. so that you can get your passing speed, but while I maintain my cornering speed and don't get trained by the people behind me. And A, I thought that was amazing on Elio, although I haven't confirmed that's what he actually did. <laughs> Whether he did or didn't, I was really impressed that Santino, as a rook, he, this is his first ever oval race, yeah. was able to receive the fact in the car, like, oh, how cool. He's wanting to make sure the level of expectation for me to play among the veterans. So here's a little lesson, kid. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to... All right, that's the only question. We're done. Nobody yeah, likes Bob, us, perfect. apparently. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> this, I think, is easily the best thing that came in. This comes from J.D. Ellis. Don't know if you saw on uh, over the weekend, I believe, Danica Patrick, one of your colleagues in NBC, now NBC Sports, was wearing some fine green slacks, I believe. So J.D. has asked, will Danica pull slacks from Al Cervix uh, or Judge Smale's wardrobe for the Indy 500 broadcast, that being a Caddyshack reference, of course. So for those of us of a certain age, that's the best thing ever. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Zach Smith and Gel, who says, Ben, did you and the team make huge gains in the car from May to account for the 22 Chevy's success? Or has the car been strong all year and most of the trouble uh, has just been down to bad luck in qualifying? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that question probably encapsulates our last 18 months or so. Um, it was last year was tough. Uh, and it's like you hear all the things, you know, just grumblings through the paddock and Simon can't drive a low downforce car and all this stuff. And it gets really annoying because he was, he finished in the top five the first three years, the DW12, which has less downforce than this. And me as a race engineer, I'm actually have a street cred of being the most trimmed in road course races most of the time. So yeah, yeah. Um, that it, that had nothing to do with it. He can still drive the car. You just have to get a certain feel for a certain type of driver. Um, it took a year of basically poking and prodding and what is this going to take um, to get to that point. And we kind of off season started or this past off season started. We took all the information we learned, sat down, okay, how are we going to fix this? Um, and basically since the Sebring test in December, it's been pretty much game on. Um, and could, Simon's been saying that all year long, even though I don't know if everyone has heard, but he's been saying from freaking Monterey semi-wet private test, no, I'm good, things are good, this is, oh, di- yeah. is going to be a different year. Yeah, and I think we, we knew – Basically in December he was fast, and then it was going to really be up to him to, okay, now I need to start building my my race confidence back up, my qualifying confidence back up, um, and it's getting there every week now because he knows what he's got. He can push himself to the next level, and um, we got bit obviously twice this season already in, in um, qualifying, and some of that one wasn't really our fault. One was we probably should have sent him earlier. We were just being being greedy <laughs> but uh you know it's it happens in the law of averages it, it comes through eventually so um yeah i, I think we're ready to rip I mean, he's 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 really on it right now so and we've we've had to make certain changes to the car for him and it's working so um but that's the team penske's been really good i mean we've we're not going to leave anybody behind um is the big thing so whatever it takes uh um everybody went to work no i just you know the 22 team but the our organization how are we going to make this better because we we can't just it just hurts us to have one slower car compared to the other ones one driver that can't help um and that's ever since i've been at team penske that's been the biggest thing is our drivers 
or to that level and they push each other to the next level um and so when all three of them are really at, at, at the a plus level of any indy car driver out there it's it's really amazing to watch so um you know now that he's he's on it it's i think it's really helping the overall team now um go to the next level and you've in your career either been at a track when simon was at a you know similar level him coming up through atlantics then into champ car then away then back but in your own career arc anders i know you've seen simon and rise i've been fortunate to see most of that from the outside and you know just uh, as a friend seeing him do some pretty amazing things what comes to mind when you see someone like this who just had a crappy year last year just didn't seem to be the car was on track he was on track they, don't, they seem like they're in a bit of a fight, a bit of a domestic dispute. Yep. Uh, what comes to mind, having seen what he's done before and the ability to recover, how do you do that? Well, I mean, having seen Simon, I don't know that I ever really had seen prior to last year a slump from him because mm. I think he, the, the job that he did with Schmidt-Peterson back in, back in those days was pretty incredible. I mean, he took a team that was basically very unknown to becoming a known and, and a force to be reckoned with. So... Uh, obviously, the job that he did with DeFerrin in, in IMSA uh, back in the day was tremendous, and, and his Atlantic days. I mean, you you just kind of get the sense that this is you know this is a superstar, and I'm so impressed with him because I could very easily see someone kind of going off the rails there and losing kind of faith in themselves, losing faith in the people around them when you try all that you can, but the results aren't coming, and so to have that kind of mental fortitude to kind of go through a full year of essentially just you know getting punched down uh but to then come back that the way that he has now has has been has been very incredible and i think it's probably you'll know this a lot better but it's probably going to make him a lot stronger to have that you know setback because now he probably knows himself even more than than he had a year ago right yeah well the biggest thing is uh you know i've I've watched him i've been with him now for 10 years right and his thing you know, you got to know how to use him. You originally had to use him a certain way. He wasn't like a Joseph or a Graham who was going to elbow his way through the field, right? But surprisingly, because of how qualifying was going last year, he learned how to do that. Mm. <laughs> like, so if you watched any of the races this year or even last year, he he was passing lots of cars, mm-hmm. um, which was, is not typical Simon Pagano. So um, mm. he's, he learned something out of it, right? right. <laughs> so uh, which I think, yeah, I think you're right. At the end of the day, he's going to come out stronger on it. Um, and and I, I remember one particular article. I can't remember if it was you that wrote it, Marshall, but I think it was after the, after the championship in 2016 where he said, if I get a, the car a certain way I can do some pretty incredible things with my feet and what that is and for, for my eyes having seen him drive it looks to me like he needs maybe a rear end that's a little bit more stuck and he does the job with the pedals on the way into the corner and yeah. I don't know if you know with the amount of arrow that you lose on the way in with this new arrow kit is that difficult or or is my assumption completely uh, off there no it, it's close surprisingly enough though it's it's not so much You'd be, you'll laugh, but he probably drives the loosest street course, road course car on our team now. Hmm. Um, but he's able to do that because of how good his feet are. He can control the, the platform of the car. He can control the pitch sensitivity of the car. Um, you know, this car is twice as pitch sensitive as the Aero Kits car, cars right. were. So um, it was a big step to try to get used to that for all the drivers. 
Um, but he's so good at using the brake pedal. That's where his strength is. Whereas like Will's got the most amazing hands I've ever seen before in my life. He's, yeah. <laughs> he can catch anything because his hands are so fast. Right. But Simon uses his feet to control the car, keep the platform controlled. He's amazing at it. His big thing was he just didn't have a lot of feel for what the race car was doing. He didn't yeah. have any the, the tactile sensation of what the tire is doing versus what the car is doing wasn't there. Wasn't talking to him and, the way that he needed. Yeah, and he won't he won't go to the next level of of you know nine tenths if he doesn't know what's going on right yeah. like so he mm. that was his biggest issue so we had to go kind of recollect ourselves and what do we need to do to get the feel of of the tires essentially particularly the rear tires and it's not so much a thing of it being loose but just knowing where the rear tires are at yeah that it's if, okay, if, okay for it to move exactly if yeah. you don't know the capacity of the tire yeah your drive you as a driver will never push beyond to it essentially so, you know you're going to um, get in that scenario in your mind there is a belief you're going to get bit exactly. and yeah. so why reach your hand out that far when you know there's a strike coming it's easier to keep just a little bit of distance to avoid yeah, that and it's yeah. the same thing here where you mentioned power i see this with rossi a lot it's been dixie's formula all along when i was doing coaching in indie lights in the 90s i would just refer to it as a lap by lap controlled crash among hmm. the greg moores and some of the other guys who were just on a different planet yeah everyone driving the same car truly spec yeah. even more spec than what we have in indycar today so what's the differentiator same everything you're seeing these guys i don't believe there are any women so that is i guess also correct in terms of gender but you were seeing these guys the best of the best in indy lights then uh tony canon yeah. is one of them as well where just observing especially from overhead in some places and you see the car isn't necessarily doing tokyo drift the whole time but from inside the car you yeah. would think that they were just spinning it the steering yeah. wheel left and spinning it. it's this flurry and you go oh my gosh yeah. outside you couldn't necessarily pick yeah. up all those things but once you see the work in the cockpit you realize there's extra human stuff going on, and well, boom, look at the lap time. And, and I wonder if part of that can be back to his Formula Renault days because the, the best driver I ever drove against from a pedal perspective was Tristan Vautier, mm-hmm. um, who both of them drove Michelin, Michelin tires in a Formula Renault car, and I know a lot of that had to do with, with brake release and how you control yeah. the car on the way into the corner. So wouldn't be surprised no, you know, with I, the experience that he got there that that's part of the reason why he is so pedal-sensitive. Yeah. And a very load-sensitive tire, the, fire, the the Michelin, anyway. Anders with a Tristan Vautier example. I'm just saying, you're killing it here. <laughs> and we're just going to actually continue on that theme with uh, John Hollinger, who says, for Anders, and I've told this to you, and I hope you have heard this from many, many people, he says, your contribution to Indy 500 practice coverage was, all caps, the best racing commentary I've ever heard. How long until you're in the booth full-time? I can answer that a little bit. We're currently trying to figure out who we need to take out. You know, (laughs) just get him in a headlocks. I mean, PT's a burly guy. I think I could, uh, I know I could take him. But, you know, uh, Townie's kind of pretty. We don't want to lump him up. You know, Lee, he's just a nice guy. So that's the problem. We can't find someone we really just, anyways. Um, I know if you had the answer to that, you wouldn't be sitting here because you'd be too important because you'd have a better job than sitting with my monkey ass. Well, I I guess first off, I appreciate the sentiment, and uh, you're you're probably wrong. You must be listening to the wrong person. But uh, uh, I I am very fortunate in that I do have a full-time role uh, during race weekends with IndyCar IndyCar Radio. Radio. Uh, They've been fantastic, and 
again, for me, it's kind of as as the fanboy that I am and very unsuccessful driver uh, to be able to be able to talk about my passion. I guess it's just incredible. And, and then obviously get to do the NBC stuff for, for Indy Lights. So I feel like regardless the outlet, uh, every race weekend I get to talk about what I love the most and get to pretend to know what I'm talking about. And uh, people are sometimes buying it. So. Hashtag fake it till you make it, the Andrew's Crone story. Uh, John also asks another question. We, got, we have a ton of questions, and we have a limited amount of time with you guys, so we're going to try and get through as many as we can. John also asks about backup cars and this scenario where we saw four or five teams. I've almost lost track of how many cars crashed of teams having to go to backup cars. The disparity in preparation time between the various teams and is coming back to kind of the central question of so in the name of cost-saving, teams can only have one engine per entry? Hmm. Different than the old days. Uh, the one, the earliest job offer I ever had was in 1990 in CART to be a mechanic on one of the Porsche factory teams' backup cars. That's how good mm-hmm. I was, just so we're being clear here. <laughs> the Not the race car. <laughs> no, no, he's in the back of the, the, the trailer there just polishing stuff. Um, Offered 30000 for the year. They shut down at the end of the year, so I'm glad I didn't take that. But um, back in the day where, hey, car crashes, guy blows up a motor, boom, you're rolling the other one out within five minutes. Just thoughts on this new pol- recent policy, this modern era policy, where one engine per entry, realize here that teams will have multiple entries per driver, but they're just calling it a single thing. Thoughts about that? Because it helps manufacturers limit pool size. So instead of having 40 or 50 engines in a pool, in theory might have to have 100 if you have to keep two cars staffed. Thoughts about that? Good, bad? Does it help? Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of sides to that. I think the manufacturer's side is tough. Um, They can't handle much more than what they're doing right now. That's why they're, you know, they're working hard to bring the third manufacturer in because they're they're at capacity. And... You know, we if we want keep want, wanting to have bumping, we want all this excitement. We want all these thirty six, thirty seven, thirty nine cars every year. You're you're pushing the engine guys as hard as they can be pushed. There's there's literally not enough guys that they have to operate as an engine tuner on dirt for each car. If there's that many more entries, much less turn engines around from the early part of the season to prep them. So, mm. I think from that side of things, it's 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 really difficult. Um, those guys have budgets too. Um, just as the teams do. And I think it's hard for them to, to have as much stuff ready as that, right? I, I'm with you. Like when we used to be in, you know, by our own engine world, we'd be sitting there with engines in both cars and had proper T cars. And that's how I started at Indianapolis. And yeah. it was, right. it was, you know, you'd actually have a T car that you'd go run. But, uh, right. um, but at the same time, you had three and a half weeks. If you wanted to spend a day working <laughs> on a T car, you yeah. could go run the T car. Now we're here. Actually, look at it. Practice time is very, very limited. Yeah. Um, so, from the team standpoint, if you have an incident, um, it's really difficult. Like you put a lot of stress on your system because you have very limited track time nowadays here. So, uh, I see both sides of that situation. I don't know. I don't know. It's from the team side standpoint, you just got to be as prepared as you can be. Um, that's that's the guys that have been here. Um, you know, whether it's the Schmitz, whether it's the Team Penske, whether it's Ganassi, we, we, you know, these teams know what it takes to be prepared. I mean, any of the major teams are going to be able to do what Schmidt did. 
um, the smaller teams, it's a lot harder situation. Um, and I've, I'm only two days overdue in writing that story after speaking with uh, the awesome Billy Vincent, a friend to all of us, um, about how they're able to turn Hinch's car around in two and a half hours. So I'll get that out here shortly. And just to close on the engine availability standpoint, I don't know if folks truly understand how on the financial rev limiter Chevy and Honda happen to be. They spend a lot of money mm-hmm. in and out of the actual paddock, meaning sponsoring races and hospitality right. and all you name it. They spend a lot of money. And of course it's always the well if you're spending pick whatever number a, a billion dollars, what's one point one billion? <laughs> well, regardless. Yeah. Just realize that with the average manufacturer having an engine pool in the forty to fifty range, you'd be asking them to double that and effectively doubling their annual commitment. And that's where you have manufacturers raise their hand and say, awesome being here. Thanks for inviting me to the party. Invite me when you want to tone things down a little bit. And, and I think that's, that's kind of my point. I'm always for, you know, as long as it doesn't ruin the racing, I'm always for whatever lowers the financial threshold to enable other teams to come in. Because if that was twice the amount, then eventually that part of that cost gets passed on to the teams, which in the case of a Junkos Racing or someone mm-hmm. like that, then they're not even in it. So then we're back to trying to fill 33 cars as opposed to you know now being oversubscribed. So uh, there, there's definitely that consideration to be made as well. And uh, personally, I think the way, the way it's done right now, it, it arguably only makes the show even better because now the teams have to hustle to you know get the car moved, uh, get the engine moved over. And, and uh, yeah, it, it doesn't seem quite so lopsided for a you know top tier team compared to a you know second tier team if you will well let's go to a question that i'm not i didn't do my research on this so i apologize and hopefully you guys i know you you guys as well this will be a fresh one to you maybe we can scramble something about a team named mclaren that supposedly struggled here don't know if you've it's heard of team? this yeah. well possibly so all kidding aside howard bennett and this one's for all of us says, following on from McLaren's confusion about ride height settings, which we saw Sunday morning during the LCQ practice session they showed up nine minutes late for, I wonder, is there a standardization on the DW12 chassis in terms of shocks, engine components, fittings, etc., to either U.S. Imperial or metric measurement? He says, presumably everyone in the U.S. still works in Imperial, but with a European design and some vital fittings sourced from Europe where metric is standard, how does all this work together? a great question because as we read at least the answer given by zach brown ceo of mclaren there was confusion as to andretti's recommendations granted well i should back things up a little bit for those who weren't aware saturday night while struggling for speed the mclaren team struck a deal with andretti technologies not andretti autosport although i believe andretti autosport owns andretti technologies but anyways (laughs) uh did a deal with andretti technologies to make use of their dampers in their attempt to get in the field on sunday maybe you can share just some insights here ben i know we're not this wouldn't be giving away any secrets but it's one thing to receive dampers it's another thing say to receive a setup sheet from someone where things might confuse me a little bit as a former mechanic is whether imperial standard or otherwise the crew doing setups on a car should be able to measure receive expectations for what the amount of compression for the overall damper before it smashes into one another happens under compression 
I would think this would be something that could be mapped out pretty quickly, but the answer given by Zach Brown was confusion over units. Does that pass sniff test? Um, Not asking you to judge, but have you no, heard of I such mean, a thing before? Might. I mean, heck, we've, we shot something to Mars and missed by because of the units, right? Yeah. So um, <laughs> like, this isn't the first time you, that's Andrew happened. Redsman, you're the best. <laughs> so um, uh, I can see it happening. I mean, team, all teams throughout the paddock do just general setup differently. The units they use are differently. The uh, just general nomenclature they use is def- different. Uh, I, you know, something like that could easily happen if you're not paying attention. Um, but, but you would have thought they would have had Andretti crew in there to make sure that this was assembled. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, you know, me, I'm going to be biased here. I don't know how, if I was, if I was Chevrolet, I wouldn't want that. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, I don't know. I don't know how that works. But you would think something like that or someone would just sit down and try to actually explain the whole process, right? Because <laughs> teams set cars up differently. There's teams put, uh, you know, where they measure ride height is sometimes different between teams. How they, you know, how they uh, set, you know, third gaps is different between teams. There's a lot of things that are different. Um, people run different pin heights on dampers. People do a lot of different things differently. It, it could be spring heights. could be anything. But... You, you you could understand it all, but you have to sit down and make sure all the bases are covered because you can easily get it wrong. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe they just didn't take the time. At the end, at the end of the day, they were as they put themselves in a stressful situation Saturday night, and you're asking everybody to you know here's you've got however many hours to get all this stuff converted over and to a different, completely different package and a completely different realm yeah. of where you've been. Um, if you're not paying attention, you could easily get something wrong. Mm. We're going to stay with you, Ben. Another pressing question from Todd Michaels. I want you to confirm, he says he's fairly certain Ben Bretzman has consumed more ice cream than any other in- engineer in the IndyCar paddock. <laughs> have, we, have you been able to validate this? That's probably true. It's an it's a unconfirmed rumor. Okay. But that's probably true. What, what flavor? Um, is, is that person named Ben Bretzman <laughs> <laughs> supposedly fond of? Uh, anything with peanut butter. Really? Yeah, with yeah, peanut, yeah. Butter. peanut butter. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's the best. <laughs> Bubblegum peanut butter? Sure. Really? Yeah. I'd throw up. And I'm a fat guy. I, mean, I love ice cream. All right. Let's go to our man, Anders. You got a question here from Andrew C., who says, I've never really had the time to watch the Freedom 100, but I've seen highlights and the crazy finishes. What's the story going into this year's race that would make me watch I have NBC Sports Gold, so access isn't an issue. Yep, and also it will be live on NBCSN, so not on NBC Gold. So that means free for, for everyone to watch. So that that is good news. But um, but if you want to send us $50 to watch NBCSN, that, that Andrew, work. we that won't work. argue Just at all. Just mail it to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yes. Attention, Marshall Pruitt and Anders, and we'll split it 50-50 or 60-40. I, I need a bit more than you. But Is that uh, Imperial split yes. or metric split? Okay. <laughs> metric. All right. Metric. Just making so sure, man. Norway, Come yeah. on. <laughs> um what was the question? No, uh, the the Freedom One Hundred I think is just so fantastic because it to me it's almost like the cross between an Indy Five Hundred and like a Talladega NASCAR race. <laughs> in that it's just I love it. it's usually three wide the entire way, and especially now starting last year they they tuned down the horsepower a bit so they suck up to each other a little bit better in the draft, and it's basically just forty laps of these drivers trying to prove that they deserve to be in the Indy 500 and more often than not resulting in some pretty 
pretty crazy incidents and you've seen three wide finishes you've seen a four wide finish um and and more so than that i think it's just you see the hunger level in these drivers wanting to prove themselves there's no pit stops there's no chance to make up for lost time so you just see these drivers go 10 tenths the entire race weekend and um i certainly know when i did it it honestly for me at the time felt like i was doing the indy 500 (laughs) it was it was that important to me and i couldn't care less about a championship I couldn't care less about anything else. The only thing I cared about was I'm going to win this race. There are and then two. I but anyway, no. <laughs> hey, anyone in speedway is a good Oops. win. There are two series that get the attention of IndyCar drivers and team owners in particular. One of them is little sporty car tin top things. The uh, Global MX5 Cup. They're on a handful of yep. schedules with IndyCar. Will Power will stop whatever he's doing and run straight up to wherever to watch him because it is just that race at Elkhart Lake is the best race in the year of the year. Yeah, the MX Five Cup race yeah. at Elkhart not Lake the best is, MX Five Cup race, but no, just like the, the best, best race, race ever. Yeah, <laughs> and the Freedom One Hundred is the other one where it doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing, you know that there yep. is you just go. Thank goodness, this is only something that could be done by the young because <laughs> yeah. those of us who've got a few years and miles on them like nope. Well, nope. <laughs> and what's so funny is there's only 10 cars in the field, but literally after the start's gone, you do, don't even think about the fact that there's only 10 cars because the battle that you watch is so intense that you do not care how – it could be five cars for all we care, and it would just be still an amazing race. It's basically the sprint to the finish line for all 40 laps. Yep. This is really <laughs> – yeah, okay. Um, nope. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, let's see. Where should we go next? Uh, I'll answer this one quickly. Ed Jor says, Marshall, how goes it with HPD and Andretti? Is that contract uh, coming up with Rossi in the offering? Again, I've, as I do often when I get these items for the Week in IndyCar, Week in Sports Cars, I go and ask, hey, Alexander, could you send me your contract so I can read through <laughs> it, find out the options? Kidding aside, Ed, I don't know where that's at. I would be very surprised if there were such discussions coming into the month of May or during the month of May. Uh, this would seem like a time to focus. Two quick things. Definitely know that there has been a desire privately. They haven't said it publicly, but we've pretty solid. There's a want to make it happen with HPD wanting to take a greater role in steering their favorite drivers. Uh, making sure that if, say, an Alexander Rossi does want to go to a Team Penske, a Team Crone, a Team Pruitt, <laughs> he'd never do that. Um, and instead of Alexander being a true free agent, someone who might actually be contracted to the brand, so the brand could then say, hey, by the way, we bad boy, we're sending you over here. Good boy, we're sending you there. But wanting to hold on to talent. Other thing I would say is, with a Colton Herta, which I hope we speak about here as we preview the race coming up on Sunday, qualifying fifth, I don't want to see Alexander Rossi leave Andretti Autosport. I don't like seeing the balance of power shift heavily in any one direction. But if he does choose to do that, I'm telling you, by the race, I am growing more confident that Colton's not going to be ready to fill Alexander's shoes this year, I would say, or even next. But by 2021... I think he might be filling those shoes, if not stretching them out a little bit. That kid, holy cow. So, don't want Alexander to leave, but I have a feeling that Michael Andretti might have the phone number of someone <laughs> who'd be pretty darn good to backfill in that car. 
Uh, let's see. Let's go to Anders from Ben Cohen, who says, Do you believe Chevy's apparent advantage in qualifying might trickle over into the race? Or does race trim even the playing field out? He says, It was great meeting you, the live event before the Grand Prix. Uh, and he said that to me. Not to you, so he ah. doesn't like you. Sorry, I tried to lead you Come in like on, you were saying that to you. Um, <laughs> what do you think, though? Oh, that's a good question, and I, I feel like I've picked so many people's brains about what, and no one will give me a straight answer to it. And, I've said uh, Lotus. Lotus is going to be whooping yeah, some butt yeah. on Sunday. Um, I, I honestly feel like if, if the temperatures are hot again, it's going to be a very very level playing field, and, and drivability and traffic management is going to be the single biggest thing. I keep going back to Rossi's race last year, going from 32nd to 4th, he, you know, had things fallen a little bit differently during the course of the race. He, he could have very well won it. I think, obviously, that there was a, a distinct advantage for from a Chevy perspective, but I know that also has a lot to do with temperature, humidity, all those things. So I think until we have a true picture of what the conditions are going to do on race day, I don't know if we'll, if we'll truly know. And we've... I feel like every year we go in with this preconceived notion of this manufacturer is going to be dominant and then the other one does something special. So it fl- tends to flip-flop every year. So I don't know, Ben, if you have any uh, nuggets of, <laughs> of info yeah. for us on that. So uh, of the, the dino sheet that we know, Ilmore uh, just hands <laughs> you. I, I just compared them both yesterday, actually. No, um, And then Hon- you got all the Honda ones, yeah, too, because exactly, you wouldn't exactly. ask, yeah, and they gave them to yeah, you, 100%. and you compared. Yeah, it's, it was amazing yes. to see. No, um, it's... It's tight. Like if yeah. there's an advantage, it's small. If it's you got to have all your ducks in a row. It's not just which badge is on the car. Um, it's going to be tight. Yeah, real tight. Let's go to a couple of great questions from our man Ed Joris, who's always saying it, sending in great questions. If only the host could pronounce the words he done sent in on the interwebs. Ed says, "How much would a setup sheet help a team like McLaren when they're struggling?" How much is one worth? Is it any good without the components to complement it? Mm. Love that question because it speaks to it speaks to a belief that one can go and acquire information from another team yeah. and have that. Let's say it's quality information. Obviously, how's this? There are probably many teams that'd be willing to sell you their info. They might not <laughs> be the ones you want to get it from, <laughs> but at least the ones that are doing better than you that you might want to acquire it from. If you were to acquire that, can you share with folks, Ben, how even if it's a Chevy team, getting it from a Chevy team, Honda from Honda, bolting that onto your car does not mean your car will go that fast. There's a certain driver person who has driving preferences where that setup information may or may not complement their driving style. Yeah, No, 100%. It's, there's more than just that. Um, obviously, 100%, you're 100% right with driving style versus setup. I mean, I, I can tell you that, like, our four cars, none of them are exactly the same. They've all got different things that they like. Um, and we all try each other's cars, and there's certain things drivers don't like about the other ones, right? And um, so that's, that's one big key component. The other one is physically the car. The parts, you know, these particularly, like, full-time IndyCar teams, such as, like, Team Penske, we – we rub on things and we try to make them as nice as we can. We do a lot of quality checking and it's just because you put a, these four springs and these four dampers on the car and put the wing angles the way they are, it's going to, might not be as fast because yeah. the car physical car might not be as quick. The gearbox might, might not be as good. The uprights might not be as good. Yeah. Uh, so it's, there's, it's more than just that. 
And I won't name the team, I won't name the source, but can vouch for the quality of the information. A friend was telling me and talking about one or two cars that might not have qualified and observing it, uh, waiting in the line to roll into tech uh, just before qualifying, LCQ qualifying on Sunday, and noticing that I'm not saying you could stick your whole finger through the gaps in the bodywork, but there were some very obvious things where you go, huh, Mm. even if you've never been to Indy before, if you spent five minutes on the interweb reading a story from me, our friend David Malsher, plenty of other folks where they talk about this wacky thing called body fit and how it can make a lot of difference in performance. This knowledge of what matching the minimum level of preparation needs to be to succeed here, that's not top secret. And yet... Some of the cars rolling out, and at least one, if not two, that did not make the show, were visibly underprepared. In those cases, you go, look, Roger Penske could personally hand-deliver a (laughs) gold-embossed setup sheet that Ben Bretzman and Simon Pagano came up to win the poll. It's not going to do, it's not going to get you in the show if you've got a little drag monster that's just acting like a parachute going down the straight. Well, and, and that's exactly it. I mean, I think if you look at Alonzo's onboard from Saturday to Sunday, it looks a lot more composed on Sunday, and he went quicker on Sunday, uh, but it is draggy. So it, it's just, you know, they haven't done the uprights uh, correctly or they haven't done the bearings or, you know, the, everything down to the body fit. I mean, I think you guys at Penske and at Carpenter Racing, when you look at that, I mean, sometimes if you see on the camera, it's like you can't even see the body panels. It's like they're, you know, glued to each other. So... That there's there's a lot to that, and I can only imagine if you see that on the outside. I can only imagine how do you you know uh, connect seams on the inside, you know, and radiator to be able to block off as much as possible to you know make it go through the air as as quickly as possible. So, yeah, uh, there's I can I can imagine that for someone that's completely lost, that there's probably some benefit to saying, okay, no, we know this setup works so that the car won't try to kill you. But then there's probably the last mile and a half hour, two two mile an yeah. hour that's rubbing and you know there's there's handling versus speed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> and when we look at the again the numbers of what kept Fernando Alonso out a zillionth of a mile per hour percentage yeah. of you know just these infinitesimal numbers, you go oh. Uh Aha, that's where the friction reduction in name the component on the car done to this one, got it in, that one lacking it. Not saying that alone caused it, but it's the hundred little things that add up to Mm -hmm. we missed it by a small fraction. I just love having you guys here because you guys, I'm going to let you answer some of the stuff I normally answer on a (laughs) week-to-week basis. Mike Jablo says to either of you, because I'm making it for either of you, please explain the center of pressure, COP, which folks here on the broadcast COP and how it differs from the center of gravity. This, this is a good way to actually do this. Anders was a former driver. So what happens when you have too much COP on the front of the car on an oval? The rear will go bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> the rear will get to the corner before the, yes. the front of the car. You will not feel safe going into the corner. Yes. Uh, basically, what it is is it's just the, it's a balance of aero load on the car. So... Um, it basically goes in line with what the weight distribution of the car is. So, for instance, a uh, Indy car weight distribution is you know forty anywhere from forty two to forty four percent, depending on what your wheelbase is and how you do your skids and your 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 ballast in the car and your aero balance kind of goes with that. 
um, to keep the car physically balanced around a, a radius, essentially. And um, you're just balancing how much load you're putting on the front tires versus how much load you're putting on the rear tires. Um, and that, that's what you see during um, races. You see guys doing a lot of front wing changes. Um, as the track grips up, typically, you've got a bigger rear tire than a front tire. As the track grips up, you usually pick up more rear grips. You have to keep putting more front balance in the car to try to keep up with the racetrack. And, um, and that's what they call COP, or aero balance. And, and I, I have a follow-up question to this question, which was a great question, by the way. To <laughs> and I have a question about your question. Oh, <laughs> you're done <laughs> All right, well, about the question. This is a good day. So I, I guess what I want to know is, obviously, this year you have the, the front wing extension and you have the wicker and I've been trying to get an answer on, you know, how much of that is changing the COP and, and how much of that is just physically helping the air reattach in dirty air. So, I mean, yeah. have you guys been able to figure out exactly what that what that picture I, looks I, like? I think so. We've been, I, mean, I think all the teams on pit lane this week have been running different front wing parts, um, yeah. testing not only doing solo runs but also in traffic. How does the car operate in traffic? How does the front wing perform in traffic? Um, and some of that's driver preference. Um, you'll see guys load up one side of the wing, make the wing asymmetric because they want more load on the left side of the car, try to get the left front tire to work more, or they're just trying to keep the left side of the car out from underneath and the car in front of them. Other guys want a more balanced wing because it, it operates better if you're, say, crossing through a wake or it just mm. keeps the front of the car a bit more um, controlled. Um, other, you know... It's helped us because uh, last year we kind of were out of front wing power. Um, you know, last year there was two things that happened. There's basically a, a Firestone brought a tire that maybe needed a little bit more front grip um, for the last year's Indy 500. So this year they brought a tire that had more front grip, which helped has helped with the racing so far a good amount. But the other issue was we had a lot of angle in the front wing because we were trying to make up for this lack of front tire power. Mm. Um, so now we've been able to kind of recenter the wing now and, and get the wing in a better working position um, mm. with the parts. And it's, it's really up to your team and, and how you analyze the data on what you think best parts. Because there's, there's a ton of combinations now. You can run inboard extensions. You can run these outboard extensions. that have little wickers. You can run little wickers on the, on the inboard extensions. So there's... There's a lot of different ways to run it. Um, and it's just really how you process the data um, right. is, is uh, what you believe is right. <laughs> While we were speaking, I got a cool email telling me that I'll be interviewing Damon Hill in a day or Ooh, two. Oh, that's how cool. cool is yeah. That? <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him to explain the difference between COP and COG. Uh, I would say, Mike, the the very the simplest way to understand it is if you were sitting in the car, center of gravity is measuring the height of the car's predominant weight and rotation and we won't get into polar moments of inertia and all that kind of stuff but center of gravity is basically just think of weight and where it is top to bottom in the car if you're talking center of pressure that's a fore and aft thing and where the center of downforce the the real major portion of where that downforce is pushing down on the car is located so in maybe an even simpler form you can think of it like brake bias the brake bias knob will adjust yep. whether the front brakes bite more or you twist the knob back and it'll make the rear brakes do more of the work center of pressure same exact thing and it's not just through here where at the speedway where you see really the, only the front wing adjusters that can be done during a pit stop but on a road course and whatnot a lot of choices on wing uh, the flap angles at the front the rear lots of stuff that can be done and this is it's not just helping the car to turn and perform. It's just 
do we need a little bit more COP up front or at the rear to make the driver happy? So that's at least the way I think of it. And I'm so good at it. As I tell folks, that's why I'm only entrusted with a keyboard today. Or, or to put it really simply, how much front grip you got? Yeah. <laughs> you got it. too much or you got too little? <laughs> Let's see. Great stuff. I love people's memories. They're so much better than mine, Ben. Uh, Stephen Lake says, years ago I read somewhere, probably Racer Magazine, thanks for the plug, that Team Penske had discovered in the wind tunnel that their sponsored decals were creating micro disturbances over the car. To rectify that issue, Team Penske painted the sponsor logos and clear-coated the car. How are the cars currently done? Are they indeed painted and clear-coated? Are there other methods, one that's maybe more preferential than the others? I think Stephen's actually referring to something that started in the 70s with Team Penske. Yeah, uh, well, there's a, a, actually a couple different ways to do it nowadays. Um, but, yeah, certainly it's that's one of the big speedway prep things is um, how do you, again, we could talk about little things of drag. You know, it all adds up. If you can imagine a, the size of a sticker, you have a bunch of these stickers stuck around the race car. Um, it might add up to, I don't know, 0.1, 0.2 pounds of drag. Not much, but, hey, it's something. And so we're scraping the bottom of the barrel for everything we can possibly get. So you'll see a lot of teams, uh, most, most of the, at least the medium and bigger teams, they're, they're, they're painting the cars and painting with decals on. Um, so it's an ultra-smooth finish. And then you can basically go in and polish that smooth finish, and, and you've got a basically a nothing will stick to it situation. Um, so it's it's a it's a pretty big deal. Um, it just gets down to the details at the end of the day. I know I'm repeating this story here on the podcast, so I apologize, dear listeners, but I'm sharing this with Anders and Ben who aren't aware. It's perfect on this topic too, Stephen. So I'm holding up a, a sticker, the decal of the Robin Miller one that Toronto <laughs> Motorsports done, and so we know that on Sunday. Kyle Kaiser's Hunkos Racing number 32 Chevy will indeed have a little bit of extra aero drag <laughs> because I made a, it wasn't a bet, but I said, all right, Hunkos, if you make the race, <laughs> you got to carry a Robin Miller sticker since this is the 50th anniversary of his covering his very first 500. Nice. So Ricky being the fine upstanding person said yes. So awesome. If they don't have a great day, we we're staring at the reason right now. It's the effing Robin Miller sticker <laughs> done. Shot their entire thing down. All right, let's go to a little bit of Twitter, and then I think we're going to close with uh, the mighty Reddit, and then we're going to let you guys just continue your tour of sexiness uh, all on your own. <laughs> let's see, where should we go here? Right turn lover, you are getting input here from Switzerland. Ooh, no question. Just Hello, he gets just an appreciation of Anders' great insights on the radio coverage of Saturday Quali. Said he only got the last hour of the stream. Hashtag more Anders, please. <laughs> wow, that is the first time a human being has ever actually uttered those words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh. I'm still waiting for someone to say more MP, please. So uh, you're, you're a lap up on me, brother. So, a hashtag. Um, here's a general question. Uh, Ryan Terpstra, Ryan always sends in some great stuff. He says, for anybody, did you see the article by Jenna Fryer, who hasn't? Great, oh, yeah. again, great work. Oh, yeah. Um, about the litany of errors McLaren made. Any thoughts from you all about whether that might hurt or, I shouldn't say help, but just strictly hurt their chances of bringing a more serious effort, possibly on the ovals in the future? 
What do you think? Because this is a fight or flight thing, right? Do we yeah. come back and show them that wasn't us? Or do you go, uh, yeah. The, the only thing I can think is that I think from a team perspective, they still want to do it. I think it's more from a partnership perspective, whether all the partners that they probably use this as like their seduction weekend, if you will, uh, to get sponsors finalized for the next you know couple of years. And I'm not sure if that would have impacted them. Maybe they've managed to sell those partners on. Well, this is why we are going full time, because then we will be a strong effort. Uh, but I can certainly imagine some people being disillusioned from a partnership perspective on, you know, we put all this money in for the 500 and, and you're not in the show. Um, so I'd be interested, <laughs> interested to know what the, what the sales pitch is there. Um, but I think, I think from, a, from a team perspective and from a brand perspective, McLaren's realizing that their biggest marketplace is America. They have limited opportunities in, uh, you know, in America with F1 to, you know, put on events. So I think they, they need to be in the IndyCar series from an automotive perspective, but I know that they don't want to do anything that negatively impacts the, the IndyCar or the F1 team from a financial or engineering perspective. So to me, it's a, it comes down to dollars and cents on if they can fully fund this program and has that been affected by them not making it into the show? I, I would think it'd be that easy, but I, I don't know what you guys what you guys have heard. Uh, the other one is in the short, you know, one or two year short term. Does Fernando want to do this again like that? And how do you prove to him that it's not going to be like that? Yeah, that's a that's going to have if if you want Fernando to be the driver to yeah. do this, how are you going to prove to him? What's the next step? Yeah. <laughs> one of my first immediate thoughts was. How long until Michael Andretti, Ed Carpenter, whomever, reaches out to Fernando and says, "Hey, they better have called him yesterday." If you no, I'm, I'm actually serious. If like, you have an, if you still want to do this, don't have anything for you this year. Yeah. But having seen what you can do, right? Yeah. Look, and with your name attached, we're fairly confident we can raise the pick. That look, we're not. Let's talk salary later. If you mm-hmm. really want to come back and do this, we know we can raise the money to fund. The running of the vehicle, the profit side for you, again, the guy's quadrillionaire. But that was my first takeaway. Do do I would would I love to see McLaren back? Absolutely, something additive to the sport, more cars. Who wouldn't want to see that? Do I necessarily think if McLaren were to come back next year, there's an automatic tie with Fernando Alonso? I think Fernando would, is going to be the one to tell us that. Mm-hmm. I I would love to see them if they did that, and it seem, seems like. You know, if they do it, they're going to do a two-car program to take one experienced IndyCar driver and maybe bring someone that's been on their junior development program from Europe, so that you kind of have someone that you can grow with as your team improves. Because I think that's that'd be the problem with Fernando. Is to to your point, I don't think he'd want to be the development driver for two years. He wants Mm -hmm. to step into something where he can win. So, to your point, if I'm Fernando, I'm calling Ed Carpenter right now, trying to lock down that third car for the 500 next year, no question. Because I mean. He's basically the, you know, I, I suppose Andretti as well. They have their fifth car, but but those are the only two teams that can just add a car, uh, you know, and and do do a good job of it. So if he wants to win the five hundred, I think that's the that's the only solution he's got. Okay, let's get down to our last couple of questions here. Henry Airbach, a great one. We get stuff like this month of May in particular. I'm the worst one to answer. It says, "Congratulations, Ben, on winning the poll." This is for all three of you, but I'm going to make it the two of you. Where and what do you guys go to eat when you're in Indy? Ooh. Also, how often are fluids, fluids drained and replaced and analyzed? What I love about your question, Henry, is 
there was really no transition in between. So I don't know if you're referring to when do we eat and then when do we drain ask, our fluids. I was going to ask that question. And actually. I don't know if I want anyone to <laughs> analyze mine. But uh, assuming the last one was about the car, where should we go here, Jets? I always check my fluids after going to the state <laughs> fair here. Uh, I'll start with the easy one. Uh, I I lived here for a few years uh, before moving out of Indy, so I, but uh, mainly up on the northwest side. I go to the Friendly Tavern in Zionsville. It's kind of my favorite little spot up there. So. Yeah, I've, I've been there a few times, but I live downtown, so there's a few really good places that have come up lately. But uh, Applebee's, two, yeah, McDonald's. Apple, Applebee's and Chili's. Uh, no, the, there's actually one place that's just, uh, just by my place at my office called Livery, which is a fantastic tapas-style place. There uh, you go. It is, it is beautiful. And then there's a place down in Fountain Square called, um, called Bluebeard. And so I'd probably have to pick those two because they are, and and they will make you change your fluids right away as well. So I always, again, it's just because you have to. It's almost, it's almost like going and seeing some sort of tragedy that is still standing. I just tell everyone to go to the mug and bun. And (laughs) as as I tell folks, the good thing is you will be saving money on 10w40 for the rest of your life you are you will be topped up forever (laughs) your body will retain every ounce of grease and oil there you won't believe that people actually go there on a nightly basis it's kind of a a very slow progressive form of suicide i guess you can say (laughs) i want to kill myself (laughs) 30 years though you know this one's going to pay out a bit um yeah that's kind of the classic one and when i was still drinking sodas and things with sugar in them the homemade root beer at the mug and bun i don't know if root beer is a thing that's it's a very american thing but theirs i'm telling not, you it's the best me, no. you can that we you and i are going to come up with a bet someday i fear what you're going to come up and make me do but i think if you lose it would be to drink a gallon of mug and bun root beer yeah. yeah i've heard of that i feel like robin miller's tried to pull me there a few yeah. times but i've just never it's Never not a really surprise that there's a man on the street right in front of you pulling selling packages of adult diapers. There's, <laughs> there's an actual cause and effect here. All right, let's get down to the last couple of here. Great one from Henri Fong. It says, Ben, how does a team approach rebuilding a car overnight after a crash? He says you can bring in lots of people, but there's only so much space to work around a car. How do you make sure you're not in each other's way, you don't miss anything, is it checklists, compartmentalized tasks? It's a great proce- procedural question. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, well, the first part's honestly prep. Um, do you have a spare gearbox built? Do you have spare uprights built? Do you have um, things on the ready to be replaced, essentially? Do you have uh, you know, an engine kit to be able to address an engine? Um, what parts are available? That's the first step in the whole. You, you have to be prepared. Then beyond that, if you need to do a like a thrash turnaround it's this may sound like the simple answer but we have a lot of experienced mechanics um they have checklists we've everybody's got a checklist of things that they have to go through um but if you're doing a deal say which has happened i don't know a handful of times the last 10 years to me you'll have at texas you'll be get done with practice one and you'll blow your motor up and you got to be in the qualifying line in an hour mm. and there's no time for checklists it's all hands on deck and pray lists and hymns that's why they're professionals <laughs> um, so that's it sounds that's the easy answer but being prepared having parts on the ready is the key um and having very experienced guys is very helpful and you know if you've got time 
yeah, we've got certain checklists on car builds and how it works. There's, you know, you have on a standard IndyCar team, you've got guys that work on the front end, guys that work on the rear end, guys that kind of work in the middle of the car and the engine dress. Um, and if there's a whole, all hands on deck from other, multiple cars, those groups all stay together and they're used to working together. Um, so guys, you know, you'll have guys bolting each each corner on um, just because they're used to doing it and it's it's easy to, easy to get going. Uh, so experience is a big deal um, and being prepared. Let's see. I think we had one here which I felt like we really needed to answer. William Matson said, Hey, Marshall, any updates on Hunkos' sponsorship situation since they made the show? And then, of course, these are my listeners. Maybe views, ghost smile, and mission wouldn't mind a change from orange to greed. William, you know my kind of mean, snarky sense of humor. Still haven't gotten the tally from Ricardo, but I am told that uh, the number of total sponsors signed is north of 30. Wow. Good. I wish I could say they were all at a million dollars a piece. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Roger would be calling Ricardo asking, what's your secret? Yeah. I don't know what the number is financially, but if you've got 30 sponsors, mm. those have to add up to hopefully a couple hundred grand. Oh, at least, um, yeah. Then you factor in the, the, big, the cost of the crash itself. I don't know their terms. I don't know their deals. It's not unfamiliar, though, if you have someone like a Kyle Kaiser who, you know, successful father in terms of business and such who might have might be the person to take care of that bill you'd hate to see a team have this great story bring in a bunch of money but it's already spent because you're paying for the wreck so hopefully things work out where the crash is covered and whatever's come in can be profit so that would be pretty awesome uh let's i know this is going to shock you this mclaren team that we keep hearing rumors of uh, there's about 40 different questions asked many different ways i'll add, let's take one more question on mclaren and then let's close on sunday what we think we might see we make some bets here we shouldn't ask the guy who's in the race to do any of that but at least he can vouch for whether one of us is the dumber he, he can or, nod or, the other. Or, yes. or shake his head yeah, the high feverishly sign. why do you have four overtake buttons on the steering wheel ben? all right never mind never mind um here's one uh, and it maybe it's a little bit slightly related to mclaren maybe not uh indycar 1701 from reddit says where does the carnage from this weekend leave the prospects for carlin's future it says mm. the team seems to be stuck in reverse since pato's first race at coda that's an interesting take having three or four carlin prepared cars miss the show and having only carlin prepared cars miss the show uh, at all i can't help but think the ripple effects might be felt for some time uh, and then mentions a few other things it's a question i've had and raised of max chilton's father chili chilton uh, big reason and portion of the funding matrix there if max is no longer wanting to be here does that mean the indycar team might be in jeopardy max has told has actually said the opposite i'm going to come back and keep fighting which i loved hearing from him but any thoughts on how a team like Carlin might have struggled across multiple cars when we know Max can drive around here? We've seen him do it. He led 50 laps two mm-hmm. years ago. Pato, that kid's not afraid of anything. His, he's flat out the whole time. How, did, how does this happen, guys? I guess the biggest question mark I raise in something like that is you look at a Charlie Kimball who qualifies 20th and is super strong. So the first thing I'm going to look for is are there any discrepancies in how the car's been built? Has there been you know, one universal method of building all the cars or has he had one specific crew 
and the same methodology hasn't been applied to the other cars because I think he was obviously easily in the show. I think uh, Pato in his first car would have probably been fairly comfortably in the show. So then it was just kind of Max who was, and, and Alonso obviously, but that's maybe a little bit of a different case. Um, then it's just the two of them kind of on the outside looking in. So I guess from a resource perspective, that's probably where someone like you at Team Penske, where you can ensure that every single car is built to the exact same spec, whereas this team who quickly went from a two-car effort to now a four-car effort Maybe, you know, they've been a little bit more diluted across the board and, and suddenly they don't have that ch- chance. So it's uh, maybe left up to chance a little bit more. I don't know. It, yeah, I, th- I think that's most of it, honestly. I, I feel bad for Trevor because it's... He's the best. Was, yeah, that, that, that wasn't really great what happened on, on Sunday to him. But uh, it's it's extremely hard. Um, even, you know, for me, as like being a Team Penske, right, we have a lot of resources to make sure our cars are fast it's a lot of work to get just this little bit of gap that we have to the cars in the back. And it's not big anymore. You look at last year, this year, the gap is extremely small. You had yeah. to do extraordinary and things to beat Ed Carpenter racing. And that's not disrespecting oh, yeah, Ed. Just 100%. saying folks think of Team Penske all dominating. You go, no, no, no. We've worked our tails off the last three years just to try to beat Ed Carpenter racing here. And yeah. that's, that's, it's a lot of work. And if you, 100%, if you can spread yourself out too thin, if you're not careful, um, Part you know parts on the car and and the quality of parts and yeah. knowing the quality checks on all the parts, understanding what you really have, um, it's got to be super detailed. Yeah. Um, and if, if you spread yourself out, it's it's not easy. I did have one thought this morning, and there's some caveats in here. Obviously, Charlie some caviar. Is that yes, what oh, I oh, love wonderful. it. Beluga is my favorite oh, with nice. ketchup on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Charlie was fast enough to get in not quick but was there comfortable um ish pato we think would have been there thereabouts max was struggling to a bit of a surprise i did wonder if the different off season than carlin had intended has had any knock-on effect when they came in last season uh two car full season both entries we know a lot about where they focused their priorities and how that affected their season they focused a ton on aero not on the damping side that actually paid dividends here both cars were quick part of me wonders if going into the off season i mean trevor said to me and i think some others fairly early on into the off season yeah uh, we're not 100 percent sure what next year is or isn't going to be we knew that charlie's money had been trimmed back questions may be unfounded as to mac whether max was going to want to keep doing this Pato wasn't on anyone's radar. Just as teams, as you guys know, when you're thinking off-season, where do I spend my R&D budget for next year? How do I apportion it for what? Everyone, of course, knows how important Indy is, but if you're not sure if you're running any cars, one maybe, you find out, okay, it's going to be one full season, one five. Again, I think Mm -hmm. there could have been, there might be something to, we're not staring at a ton of cash, are we just going to throw it at the 500 when we can't really vouch for who all is going to be there with us? Yeah. I'm not saying that's it, but it did occur to me. Mm. There's something to that. I mean, we, we start our indie development like next week. <laughs> it's it's yeah. an always going process. So, um, yeah, if you don't know what you're doing, it's hard to, you know, you don't know what you're doing going in the future, right? It's hard to commit to much there. All right. So I, I do have one question here I missed that I would not, Forgive myself if I skipped it before we get to thoughts, uh, final thoughts on the upcoming weekend. This comes in from Danny Nohops, who says, For Anders, 
and you're going to have to tell the backstory. Uh-huh. What ingredients go into a caterham marusha? <laughs> I've been experimenting right. and woke up with my cat on the floor <laughs> licking the blender. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, that, that does have a bit of backstory. So that was uh, Robin Miller and I during one of the practice days on air. Um, and he doesn't we, drink, but he sure sounded yeah, drunk. Yeah. And uh, basically we were going through Alexander Rossi's career to this point. We were going through the F1 teams that he'd been with. And, you know, I mentioned that, yeah, he'd been with Caterham and, and Marusha. And Robin Miller says, well, really, that sounds like a bad drink. <laughs> so <laughs> so anyway, then um, – Social media kind of took off a little bit, and, and people started uh, saying that they went to their local watering hole to have a caterer Marusha. So um, based on how disgusting it sounds, I probably have to say it's probably a combination of rum, Norwegian Akavit, and maybe like a Coke, van- vanilla Coke or something oh, really disgusting. Diet. Yeah. D- yeah. Oof. A diet Mr. Pib vanilla. And, um, <laughs> Definitely something you would you would black out on though after one oh, drink for sure a caterer Marusha yeah you do not want to get mixed up with that that if you were in front of the judge having <laughs> just committed heinous crimes and told them that I had three caterer Marushas they go you're insanity good. he's yeah, out yeah you're good <laughs> but I'm thinking knowing that in, you should I'm guessing will be on pit lane uh, on Friday for Carb Day. I'll uh, be in the booth for the okay. Indy Lights uh, okay. stuff, actually. Okay. Yeah, so. But in theory, you should be around. I'm just saying, since this is attached to Rossi, you should at least ask him. Very this, good This point. should be to give him your thoughts. Yep. There, they sound like we've got some alternates here, uh, a diet <laughs> Fanta something. Again, who knows? But, yeah, maybe Rossi needs to weigh in since it's kind of inspired by his, it, I would say, Formula One career, but it's some <laughs> bunny quotes here. <laughs> All right, uh, we've killed this thing as usual. All right, Sunday, I've heard there's a motor race. We're going to be coming back to any thoughts, Ben, on what fans might look for, knowing that you guys help make folks a little smarter, clue them into some things. What are some ideas you have? You go, hey, if you're going to be watching, keep an eye out for this or that. Uh, well, I think, one, the racing is going to be generally better than it was last year. Um, cars can follow closer. Um, cars can you can generally pass if you're in the first first few cars if it happens to be cool i think you'll see it really stacked up on each other i think it's going to be a a a pack race speedway style um if it's warmer like there the temperature keeps going up now we're 100 percent sure what it's going to be just yet but if it's warmer and the sun's out i think that's when you'll see the 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 cars kind of start to separate themselves and drivers start to separate themselves um I think it's going to be a good race. The toe effect is massive right now. Um, and the drivers have enough front end now to be able to finish laps and finish passes and, and really suck up well with this car now. Um, you kind of had to watch yourself last year because you basically didn't have enough front end to finish a lot of the, the big runs you get. And now basically really making use of this aero kit and what it is at the speedway. So, uh, you know, you look at Simon was – quickest yesterday in monday practice i mean he wasn't flat in any of the four corners mm. like massive lifts but he did a 228 because this the toe up effect is massive yeah um so you you'll see big runs you're gonna see really big runs of cars behind you're gonna see a lot of interesting things happen um from that standpoint i think it's gonna be a, a good show i think we're gonna put on a really good show here so um yeah, I'm looking forward to watch just as much as you guys. <laughs> Anders is a fellow analyst. Oh, dear. Yes. 
share some thoughts on one or two, three candidates for the win. Yep. One or two candidates for big surprise. Mm-hmm. Might not the win, but someone where you go, ooh, I yep. think that's going to be someone folks are remembering after this race. And third component, anyone you think we might be going home saying, oh boy, we almost didn't know they were there, but we thought we would. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, good, good question. And if Simon and, and Pagenaud knows the answers to all, Ben's going to punch you. <laughs> um, I think just kind of going off of what you guys said, I think what blew us all away last year is the relatively how slow race pace was and how much time was spent off throttle. And because of that, you know, pit window is much, much bigger than they were in years past. And I think it caught a lot of people that weren't necessarily 100% in the running a little bit by surprise by how long they could pull their windows and so I wouldn't be, be surprised to see some people rolling the dice a bit more like a Scott Dixon. If you're slightly out of, you know, out of it, then maybe a little bit earlier in the race than you did last year, do you go off sequence and you go off strategy and you say, you know what, let's roll the dice. That's the only way we're going to win it here. And I think you're, not, you're no longer locked to that lap 30. You know, you're mm-hmm. coming in lap 30 no matter what. It, there's, there's a much bigger disparity there. If, if race pace is slow-ish as, as it was last year with, with the amount of lifting that you have to do. So I think that's, that's certainly part of it. I think uh, just, just raceability, I completely agree with you. Obviously, the you know, Team Penske cars look really good. I think uh, Alio Castroneves mechanically looking and, and confidence-wise in the car. Uh, Alexander Rossi, I know, surprise, surprise. Uh, you just, to me, he crosses over the arrow wake better than anyone else, and it looks like he's willing to drive a car that's much more positive than anyone else. And so I think because of that, he can follow more closely than, than anyone else. And so I think if it is a hot and humid day and kind of following closely, you know, as at a premium, I think he could really, you know, have, have a strong chance. Uh, with that said, throughout practice uh, week, the person I feel like I talk the most about is Santino Ferrucci. He is. Yes. And I don't know if that's because of lack of fear or lack of respect for the place, but he just... He was, he was one of the only other drivers, in addition to Rossi, that could follow very, very closely. He could, he could time runs on people, and the timing of runs isn't necessarily something that just comes to you right away. It's, it's sort of, it, it takes experience, but it seemed to come to him fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him kind of jump up and, and be in contention you know, throughout the course of the race. But uh, again, I think with how difficult this is, I see... I, could very easily see it being sort of a, a race of comers and goers where you have someone fading early on you know where they're waiting for the track to come to them as the track temp and, and ambient comes up number one guy for that typically is scott dixon someone that you know has never been too concerned with the first hundred laps of the race but just kind of slowly but surely gets the car to to his liking he's related um, to some guy who might know about this sitting next to you by the way <laughs> yeah. um that Scott Dixon guy. Yeah. yeah. That guy. <laughs> what about uh, what about surprise and what about disappointment? So again, surprise. I think the Santino Ferrucci okay. one. Could, you're could locked be, in there. Okay. Could, could be a I very like very good one. Disappointment's difficult, man. Like, I I know that there's been a couple of the Andretti guys that haven't been entirely happy with their race car. I know Marco was varying levels of unhappy throughout throughout practice with with his car. Uh, there's maybe a little bit of a question mark over Ryan Hunter Ray. Um, you know, I, I would say from a team perspective, there's probably been a bigger disparity between them than I've seen in a team Penske or Ed Carpenter mm. racing who all look kind of somewhat happy. Um, so, so maybe, maybe that can be a surprise in a good way or in a terrible way for them. We, we don't quite know yet. Um, but certainly from, 
if, if, if it's like a green flag race and it's all about pace, no question Team Penske or Ed Carpenter car is winning this race. Coming into the month, I had a feeling that we would be looking at either an Alejandro Rossi or Joseph Newgarden win. Uh, I would not be displeased if anybody won. Uh, no, that's a lie. There's one or two you know that wouldn't make me too happy. Um, <laughs> but but uh, okay. Simon Pagano win yeah, would I, make I, me. I, was, a, I, I mean, that this. would be that would be that'd be amazing for him, knowing what it means to him. Because you get that in every in every winner, you find out very quickly. Does this fulfill something deep inside of you, or does this victory now create? that real first hardcore pre- appreciation of what it means to win. Simon, I think, is the first category of he knows. And if this were to happen, this would just be fairy tale achievement for him. But I would say Rossi, Newgarden, I just think there's going to be something there in terms of possible win. In terms of surprise, hmm, I think our boy... Surprise in terms of the weekend not being every the month, not everything that he wanted. I think Oriol Servia might do something. Uh, Marcus Erickson, too, has just yep. been, wow, he agree. looks like a guy who, fit, who understands this place, uh, even as a rook. Disappointment? I'm going to go with Felix Rosenquist. Obviously, he had his crash. Obviously, set him back a little bit. I had a feeling he was going to make another demonstration that this is next generation, holy poop, stand back. Just something tells me it might be next year. Mm. This, this year might have put him in a place where, again, love to see that change, but I'm not totally sure that's going to play out that I, way. I, I can see the race for him being one of those where he just gets negative momentum on his side and it just goes from bad to worse. But I can also see it be one of those a couple of stints in where something clicks and suddenly he's like, I get it now. And I don't think he's had that epiphany yet of I get it. Um, and then I want to end on just saying that this Simon Pagano guy has a tendency of once he gets on a run, he tends to not stop. <clears throat> 2016. I remember a season uh, <laughs> not too long ago where he made it not fun for others to come to the yes. party. That's the goal. <laughs> well, the goal. think about this, Ben. You and I are going to remember this day because this will be the last time that we have Anders Crone on a podcast before I have to go through agents PR reps, <laughs> right? We've got the rising star here of IndyCar Awesome mm-hmm. Broadcasting. Kidding aside, you know, I love you guys. Really appreciate you taking some time here on a late and rainy Wednesday to do nothing but share your passion and knowledge with IndyCar fans, which is kind of sort of all we're really trying to do here. So thanks for coming out. No, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. It's been awesome. Can't wait. He's lying straight to my face. You see that, Ben? <laughs> and thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers for their awesomeness. And also, please, if you are here in Indy, come to the memorabilia show Saturday morning right behind the pagoda in the little, whatever, the pavilion area there where our friends at torontomotorsports.com are doing their pop-up show one day only. Now, I'm about to tell you a lie and tell you that it starts at 9. Don't come until 9. It may or may not start a little bit earlier. I just want to make sure you, dear listeners, aren't there so I get the first crack at all the memorabilia I want. So a little bit of self-serving. All kidding aside, thanks for listening in. It's been really fun doing these day at Indies as well. Folks have been enjoying lots of folks sitting down here on the good old Marshall Pro Podcast.